1: Good morning and welcome to our wild world. A tremendous amount has happened around the landscape for lions. Wild, captive, and the industrialized farming of them for exploit and profit in the volunteerism, hunting, and sporting industries. But there have also been a wide range of lesser known conservation successes and projects that don't garner the same international headlines. As much as this year began as a very Bad year for lions. Perhaps, in the end, as we head into a new year, lions are finally having their voices heard. Previously, my guests and I discussed the issues behind cant hunting, its industry, and its spin offs to raise awareness of these lions and where they end up. Between the dedication, commitment, and critical awareness raising campaigns over the past two decades, and the global eye brought on by the death of one captivating lion in Zimbabwe, we have created change. The countries of Australia and France have legislation placed addressing the banning of import of lion trophies and body parts, and many airlines are now declining or restricting the carriage and transport of such trophies. The long, broad wave of efforts on behalf of lions at last reached a tipping point. We are at an an historical paradigm shift, one that many of us have been working long and hard and waiting for for a very long time. Joining us today is Chris Mercer of the International Campaign Against Canned Hunting and the founder of the Karoo Wildlife Center. Returning guests on this program provides the foundation of continuity that lies behind the headlines of particular events and incidents. Conservation is an ongoing and long-term process, rarely of which we get to see the immediate return on our investment, and of which failure and success is based upon what people do. So, I welcome back Chris, not only to find out the effect and impact the shift in landscape around canned lions has had for his long-term campaign, but to learn what other projects he and his colleagues are working on now to ensure wildlife has a place and space to remain a vital part of our wild world. Welcome back, Chris.
2: Hi, Ellie. Thanks for having me back.
1: It's a pleasure. It's always wonderful to talk to you. We've been chatting for a little bit before we started uh, today's program. So let's start, um, let's begin with a catch-up since our last conversation, which was last April, I believe, on what the consequences, ramifications, or fallout has been since... uh, Well, Faza, the professional hunters of South Africa, and the film Blood Lions, taking the world by storm. And then, I guess, as a result, Faza has taken a different stance on canned lions, or as the Dallas Safari Club and Safari Club International call them, estate lions. And we've talked about this a bit on this program through a series of guests, of which you were the first. So tell us what this means in terms of your long-term project and the campaign against can hunting?
2: Well, the statement by FASA, um, that's P-H-A-S-A, that's an acronym for the Professional Hunters Association of South Africa, was really a response to the public disgust uh, which was... uh, caused by uh, the movie Bloodlines. Now, uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, about two years ago, I suppose it would be, uh, we received a phone call from Pippa Hankinson. And she told us that she was she had the idea to, uh, have, um, to make a movie, a full-length documentary, uh, raising awareness about the canned hunting industry and um she wanted to discuss it with us so she was in cape town at the time and we were in george about 500 kilometers away so we arranged to meet at a pretty little place called swellendam which was just about exactly halfway between us in the mountains uh, along the garden route so we each drove our respective distances and met and spent the morning talking and at the end of it we were so impressed with her and with her idea that we actually found although we're not a wealthy uh, NGO we found some money uh, to contribute as a start but more importantly we put her in touch with contacts that we had built up over the years. Um, We've been doing this for 16 years and we have Uh, a considerable reach in the animal welfare community and we put them in touch with funders who actually provided substantial funding uh, to get the movie made. Um, It took longer of course than any of us expected but eventually when Blood Lions was completed uh, it was uh, an excellent professional job Uh, as one would expect uh, when uh, all the uh, people involved were professionals, right down to the cameraman, Nick Chevalier. So, Bloodlines has raised awareness and caused a great deal of unhappiness in hunting circles, and I'll tell you why, because... For a number of years, the hunting industry has remained united against public criticism. The so-called ethical hunters have united with the canned hunters in order to tell government that it need not worry about uh, public, uh, public emotions. Uh, because these were confined uh, to a handful of animal rightists. Now, that was the phaser approach for the last 10 years. Now, of course, comes bloodline, and suddenly uh, the genie's out of the bottle. And uh, FASA has to recognize that public disgust at canned lion hunting is not restricted to a handful of animal rightists, but on the contrary is the uh, popular uh, opinion in society in fact you could say it's mainstream opinion in people in South Africa and throughout the world certainly the developed world.
1: Mainstream except for the hunters who still want to go kill them but I guess that's a separate conversation.
2: No not quite it comes into it but because bloodlines had such an impact, FASA had to call a meeting. And they had a long and intense meeting, at the end of which they took a vote, whether they were going to continue to support the canned hunting industry. Now, I think a hundred and it was about a the votes went about a hundred and forty seven um, against the canned hunters and about a hundred and something um for. So it, it was It was not a a unanimous decision by any means. Um, Nearly half the hunters still wanted to uh, support the canned hunting industry. Uh, uh, The reason why most hunters uh, decided that they could no longer uh, profess to support uh, canned hunting or to throw their lobbying weight behind the lion farmers was not at all due to ethical or compassionate concerns Um, but rather because they are worried and they became more worried after bloodlines that the, the public disgust was going to cause adverse consequences for trophy hunting as a whole, not only the hunting of captive bred animals in other words they saw canned hunting as an existential threat to all trophy hunting. Um, and I might say, I think they're quite right. I think that bans are going to affect all trophy hunting, not just canned hunting. But that's the reason why FASA has decided that it can no longer lobby in support of the lion farmers.
1: So but that's, all the
2: hype... Let, yeah. me st-
1: let me step in. So that's the public face. That's the public line, the public announcement. A little bit ago, we were talking about this. Do you really think it will have an impact? Do you think it will either, A, clean up the the disgust and, and the conditions captive lions are kept in and all its um, associated spinoffs, cub petting, lion walking, um, the, the lion camps were tourists go and often get killed, do you think it will clean that up or do you think it's all just um, just uh, on face value and nothing will really change?
2: It's all hype and nothing will change. The hunters are making far too much money out of canned hunting and the South African government is uh, a new democratic government. Most of the people in conservation circles have as much understanding of real conservation which is the preservation of natural functioning ecosystems uh, as that of a dog watching a passing aircraft. They really haven't got a clue. Now because conservation has been captured by the hunting industry uh, the government will continue to support hunting I can tell you that when we were lobbying the Australian government to ban the import of lion trophies there, I saw a letter from Minister Edna Malewa throwing the entire diplomatic weight of the South African government behind the canned hunting industry and urging the Australian lawmakers not to ban the import of lion trophies Because, she said, hunting is so important for South Africa's economy.
1: Well, you know, this is a conversation that I would like to have with you perhaps on another episode to address hunting. Hunting is um, about so much more than trophy hunting uh, or sustainable utilization, sustainable or consumptive utilization. Uh, deciding who lives, who dies, and why versus iconic species such as elephant, rhino, and lions as they're threatened now. And I'm, I'm not sure where U.S. Fish and Wildlife is on their um, uh, program to list them as endangered, but we've, we've certainly come a long way in 2015 toward public awareness that lions are in trouble. So I had asked um, Ian a question that, let's say, in a perfect world, Canned hunting stops, which you're telling me and us that it's not going to, and that perhaps it won't even clean up the industry. It might just drive it further underground. But in the end, if in a perfect world, uh, of the 8,000 lions that are in captivity in South Africa, bred for the bullet for sport trophy hunting, um, by the time it all washed out, so to speak, we'd be talking about 200 to 300 live lions. So my question was, what happens to these lions? Where do they go? They can't be released into the wild. They have a poor genetic gene pool. They have no wild instincts. They're wild animals in terms that they have all the tools they need to survive, but they've been hand raised. They um, see vehicles and humans as uh, an incentive for food, Um, people have been killed in lion camps and uh, so there is no place for these lions in the wild so the question would be if we want to save wild lions and stop hunting, trophy hunting of an endangered species or a world heritage species as Peter Cat would like to have them be thought of um, and keep wild lion populations going and viable and productive would it or would it not be better to kill lions bred for this purpose, like cows are bred for food, and leave wild lions alone, or can we come up with a way of management? Is it possible, moving forward, that wild lion trophy hunting can be managed so something like Cecil the lion, illegal hunts, poaching, or the recent poisoning of lions in Kenya could happen? I, I realise that's a convoluted question. Do you think we
2: can? Get uh, there? Well, let's let, let's let's take it in stages. First of all, uh, there is no connection whatever between canned uh, between the, the hunting of captive lions and the hunting of wild lions. Uh, the two are totally distinct. They appeal to different markets and. The uh, controls on the hunting of wild lions, especially in South Africa, are such that only about seven or eight really wild lions are hunted every year out of the more than a thousand that are killed. So as you can see, it's a negligible number. And whether one has a canned hunting industry or not would not affect that in the slightest because that offtake is uh, decided by conservationists. So I would have to say that, first of all, there's no connection between the two. So the uh, argument that you should let hunters um, kill captive lions because then they won't kill wild lions, that simply, do, that's, that simply isn't true. Um, it, it, it does, it's, not a, it's not a dilemma that exists at all.
1: Okay, so that's that's good to know. If I, so, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Sorry. If if I was if I were king and I were able to uh, overcome the lobbying power of the hunting industry and actually ban lion farming and canned hunting tomorrow, I can tell you there wouldn't even be a ripple. The lions would vanish like smoke and. Tomorrow, the hunting magazines would be full of adverts for lion hunts in neighboring territories where government is weak to the point of almost non-existent. Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Namibia. So, as you can see, those poor lions are doomed. No one can save them.
1: Lions period. Wild lions elsewhere outside of South Africa.
2: So are are, are you saying lions,
1: period, are doomed? That
2: we're looking at ghost
1: ghost uh, populations? uh,
2: No, that's a different debate, Uh, Ellie. What I'm saying is that those 8,000 lions being farmed in South Africa are doomed. No one can save them. Now we can talk, if you like, about wild lion populations And the uh, problems facing them are completely different.
1: Well, let's do that. Right now, we're going to step away for a quick little break. So stick with us because we're going to move on. And uh, with my guest, Chris Mercer, and this is Our Wild World. We'll be right back.
0: w-i-l-d-i-z-e dot o-r-g American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. You're listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
1: And welcome back with my guest, Chris Mercer. Where we left off before the break was getting a better understanding of what should happen if the canned lion hunting industry and its associated spin-offs were to completely disappear today tomorrow that those 8000 lions still in captivity bred for this purpose would be doomed uh for one way or another and that their that population has no direct link to wild lion population so chris help us get a better understanding of these two separate issues what let it, help us understand what's happening with wild lion populations, whether it's hunting, disease, um, genetic pools, and you know their their d- distribution across Africa, and should South Africa ban hunting, or at least ban canned hunting. And you had said before there's only um, a few. The, the lions trophy hunted in South Africa is negligible, but it would ripple across the rest of Southwest and Southern Africa, not necessarily South Africa. Expound on that. a Right. Little
2: bit. <laughs> okay, let's talk about what the situation with wild lions. Let's take two completely different countries. Uh, they're both rangeland states. They both offer lion hunting to uh, mainly American, but uh, also uh, European and other uh, hunters. Tanzania and South Africa. Now, in South Africa, there are no really wild lions. I mean, even the uh, wild bred lions in the large nature reserves, many of them are wearing radio collars and so on. So they are actively managed, but they're not captive bred. So they're regarded as wild lions because South Africa is a developed country. Every blade of grass here is owned and fenced off by somebody. So now let's look at Tanzania. Now, Tanzania is wild. Uh, you can walk for a week without uh, having to climb through a fence. Now, you couldn't do that in South Africa. So you have really wild lions in Tanzania and As everybody knows by now, the hunting of wild lions is particularly damaging to pride dynamics. Um, And as most of your uh, listeners will probably know, the shooting of a pride male will cause carnage uh, in the pride and will result in consequent deaths like infanticide and other deaths from infighting. So, the hunting of wild lions uh, actually affects conservation, whereas uh, canned hunting, the farm, uh, f- farmed, uh, the, the killing of farmed lions, adversely affects wild populations in a different way. Um, it's a little more complicated and revolves around economics. For example, if you build up and a lion bone trade with Asia, which is what's happened, you will cause an upsurge of poaching of wild lions in other parts of Africa so uh, although canned hunting do- and, and lion farming does adversely impact wild lion populations that's not what I want to talk about now. what I want to to say really is that there is a lamentable lack of of will on the part of African governments to protect their own wildlife heritage. Lamentable. This is... There is... Yeah?
1: So, so with all the pressure from the West, we have a whole different perspective. We have the luxury to love wildlife because we want to go see it on safari. We don't have to live with it. We don't have to live with the conflict. But what we, the West, the developed world, and South Africa as a developed and uh, a nation with infrastructure and, as you said, managed, everything is managed, what is, it, it seems what the rest of Africa and the governments have learned from our model is that progress equals power, and power is money, so it all becomes economics. So um, discussing this lamentable lack of will on the governmental side versus perhaps an upsurge in public will to protect wildlife, or is there such a thing? And how can we bring these two facets closer together?
2: I don't think you could find the words to explain to African governments why they should preserve their priceless wildlife heritage and to stop regarding their heritage as a mere resource to be harvested. Now I blame the hunting industry for much of this because I believe that this appalling uh, policy of sustainable use which has been adopted uh, by uh, the Convention on Biodiversity and spread like a cancer. Uh, through conservation services around the world. I believe that uh, it was certainly promoted by the hunting industry, if not uh, originated by it. Because once you adopt as your conservation paradigm, the fact that living creatures are not sentient beings, but they are merely resources to be harvested like tin or copper, Um, So that the only question that arises is one of numbers. Are you keeping sufficient numbers alive so that we can come back and kill them them next year? Uh, That is the pathetic uh, excuse uh, for the pseudo-conservation paradigm that now exists. And we have to overturn that if we... Going to have any chance of saving wildlife in Africa, not just lions. So we have to get back to real conservation, which is the preservation of natural functioning ecosystems.
1: So this leads to um, one of an 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 article you wrote a while back, and that made um, that several people have written on the con in conservation. So the world, the public. Us here in the West, when we go on safari or the volunteers that go to work at these canned lion farms or other hunting camps, um, we've separated canned hunting from hunting. Chris, you've just outlined that hunting being a part and parcel of the con in conservation, that hunting dollars protects wildlife by killing them, um, has to stop. So this leads us to our work that we have to do moving forward. We've finally gotten public attention and awareness to a large proportion of the world that lions are endangered. And that's been going on for about 10 years now when we finally hit this tipping point in this wave that everybody is aware of lions. Um, So how are we going to go about reversing this con and get back to what you and I know as conservation, that it's not just about viable numbers to be killed next year, it's about viable numbers that keep an ecosystem functioning, the umbrella species, all the things that live above and below the trophic cascades and the trophic levels of any given species that all the other species depend upon. So you had mentioned going in and killing a wild lion just is like shooting the uh, eight ball into the, the triangle on a pool table and it just scatters everything into chaos. So how are we going to go about raising awareness and getting people to take this work on?
2: Ellie, if there's any help, if there's any hope at all for Africa's wildlife, it lies in the internet. The power to mobilize millions at the touch of a computer button is a democratic power which is utterly unprecedented in human history. And it's one that we use to the utmost. Up until now, wealthy corporations and wealthy businesses have been able to capture their own regulatory authorities with impunity. That is no longer so easy and so long as we keep the momentum going i believe that we can force change but it's not going to be easy because there's a lot of money involved and public awareness is it's an amorphous thing isn't it the and it's challenge fickle. is how to focus how to focus and mobilize that amorphous pool of 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 compassion and love for wildlife
1: you're right it is and it's fickle um, I mean, you could, just reading an average Facebook page of any number of groups, uh, what I find is we continue to spew the same vitriol against those we wish to change who spew the same vitriol back at us. You know, We're still divided into camps, so to speak, pro-against, pro-con. So what we need, and I think what you're doing, and this is going to be a great way to segue into what you're doing now, um, a, keep the pressure up on the canned lion industry, and for our listeners, please visit cannedlion.org, and that's uh, uh, the international campaign for against canned hunting, C-A-C-H. Look it up. Do some work. As Chris just said, the power of us out here is immense, and if we galvanize us, then we can make a difference because in the end, governments do eventually have to come around unless it's a dictatorship uh, to please their public or they won't get voted in. So Chris, uh, we've got a few minutes left in this section. Um, this leads into uh, the and you brought it up br- briefly Africa is not a con- is not a country it is a continent filled with with a multitude of countries, with a diverse range of people, a diverse range of languages, ethics, tribes, cultures, and landscapes. And usually in the West, we have a stylized version. Here in the US, it's we see the Maasai in his shuka and his sticks and his cattle. In uh, Europe, it's usually Southwest Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, South Africa. And they're very different landscapes. Um, so what you and your partner Bev have done um, for the past twenty years is wildlife reha- rehabilitation. Previously, you had a wildlife rehab center in the Kalahari, and now you have a wildlife uh, center in the Karoo. Help us understand just within this portion of South Africa, the southern tip of this humongous continent, the variety of landscapes and challenges that you face in conserving and doing conservation real conservation.
2: Okay, Ellie. now uh, I think it was the late great Cleveland Amory who um, founded the Fund for Animals And then discovered that all the animals that he was rescuing needed somewhere to go. So I think he established the Black Beauty Ranch. And I have a feeling after his death that all that was taken into the humane society. Um, I may be wrong, but uh, that's the sort of thing that we're doing here. Uh, we feel that uh, it's not enough just to pursue animal advocacy. I think animal advocacy is absolutely critical and that uh, one should not take the foot off the pedal for one second on that. But I also think that you have a lot more credibility if you are actually seen to be Uh, putting your money where your mouth is and actually working hands-on with orphaned and injured wildlife. And uh, that's why um, we've gone back to the wild. Um, I will be 70 in my next birthday, but I reckon I've got a few years left to save some animals before I turn my toes up and my body reaches room temperature.
1: (laughs) So um, I I do want to put a a, a mention in here of your previous book about the um, Kalahari Rehab Center. Uh, Chris made innovative use of the Internet in his book, Kalahari Dream. It's available in print, but I really suggest that you get the e-version because there is so much more attached and involved in the e-version of Kalahari Dream. It, takes, it makes use of, as Chris said, this powerful tool, the internet. So rather than just imagining the scenery and the, the descriptive tone of what Chris and Bever are writing about, uh, you get to see what they're talking about so a if you're looking for a Christmas present or a holiday present or a birthday present per- purchase Kalahari Dream the e-version which Chris told me has uh, was the re- oops wait a minute where the recipient of was reviewed by the prestigious uh, New York what book review so that the, is the New York
2: Journal of Books
1: so that's that's pretty big people that's that's like the highest you can get so Definitely take a look at that and the purchase, I believe, goes toward helping part of the purchase, especially if you go through iGive or Amazon Smile. Part of your online shopping through these entities goes towards conservation, and you can choose your charity. So choose Canned Lion or choose Wild Eyes Foundation. I have to get that in there. And, you know, go back and forth (laughs) to your favorite charities through your online shopping and give a little without having to give any more. So, But now you were in the Kalahari, which is the northern area of South Africa, and now you're down in the Karoo. Tell us just a little bit about the Karoo. We've got a couple minutes here to break, and then we're going to get into what you're doing now.
2: Well, the Karoo is split into two. There is the Klein Karoo, which is where we are, which is semi-arid and closer to the uh, south coast, the southern coastline of Africa. And it is separated uh, from the main Karoo, which is very arid, rather like the Kalahari. Um, and that is, the separation is the Swartberg Mountains. So our rehab center looks across the valley to the Swartberg Mountains. And there's this amphitheater effect. The mountains sort of tower above us. It's very beautiful. Um, actually, it's so beautiful that when you go out in the mornings, you look around and you just feel it's so good to be alive.
1: That's wonderful. I wish I could look out my window and see that every morning. I I see a beautiful place, but it doesn't get uh, wildlife like you get. So um, when you say arid, let's describe, and so people understand, we're talking about places like Death Valley, we're talking about places like the Sahara, and uh, the Kalahari, which is an immense desert, the Namib Desert, and now the Karoo. I love that name. What? Where does that name come from?
2: Uh, I think it's probably a Bushman name originally, uh, although I stand to be corrected. Uh, but this is one of the hottest parts of the world and yet an astonishing variety of uh, small shrubs grow here Um, it's called feinbos or fine bush literally and they uh, have very small leaves in order to uh, limit uh, expiration or respiration uh, because of the long periods of drought and heat Uh, This is one of the hottest parts of the world. In fact, I believe about three weeks ago, we had temperatures in our area um, above 46 degrees Celsius. Um, I think you mentioned over 115 degrees Fahrenheit, which made it uh, the hottest place on Earth to uh, ever record such a temperature in the month of October. So that gives you an idea how fierce the heat can be. And yet it's astonishing uh, how the, um, the hills and, and valleys are actually covered with vegetation. Um, it's this feinbos vegetation, very hardy plants. And when the rain does come, which it does come from time to time, The spring flowers are absolutely magnificent. These horrid little stunted bushes suddenly spring to life and produce the most brilliant uh, uh, show of flowers that you can imagine. I wish I could send you photographs of them.
1: Well, you you certainly can. And also, even though it's a, a slightly different area south of the Kalahari, if people, once again, return to the ebook Kalahari Dream, you will get an idea because it's interactive with YouTube videos of these areas. So in terms of aridness and the type of landscape Chris is talking about, you can get an idea... Of what is there, but we're talking further south and it's getting hotter. But at this particular moment, we need to step away and take a break. So stick with us. We'll be right back with Chris and what he's doing now in the Karoo.
0: Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big scary beautiful predators are in danger without them our rivers dry up our forests don't grow our communities go hungry our biodiversity crumbles wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems the wild effect it's in our hands ellie founded wild eyes foundation because she loves africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. You're listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
1: And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss with my guest, Chris Mercer. And just before the break, we were talking about extreme places. Uh, Chris had said in October, uh, the... The Karoo was the hottest uh, recorded heat in in living memory. So this deals with climate change. Uh, we have to have an understanding that climate change and climate shift and global warming are one of the biggest issues facing us today and that conservation must address these issues. But to bring that down to a tangible, hands-on understanding of what that means, Chris uh, can tell us about the newest project that he's working on, the Karoo Wildlife Rehab Center, or Karoo Wildlife Center. You can find it on Facebook, and you can also find it on their website, cannedlion.org. So, Chris, this must feel a little bit like starting all over again from the Kalahari Rehab Center, which is written about in your ebook, Kalahari Dream. So, tell us a little bit about the what it takes to start a rehab center at where you are in an extreme place that is very far, a long way from anywhere. Uh, tell us about what an average day is.
2: Well, we moved here uh, early uh, in July only. So we haven't been here many months, and of course there's no cell phone coverage, there's no landline, there's no electricity, there's no piped water supply. Uh, We have to go off the grid and organize all these facilities ourselves. So our borehole pumps are all powered by solar panels. Um, Our electricity for our house is powered by solar panels. Uh, and a little wind turbine, and I'm talking to you over a satellite connection uh, from a dish above my roof, Um, and at the moment we are just about halfway through building the first set of camps uh, for the sanctuary. Uh, They're going to be large camps, uh, 60 meters by 30 meters, and as I say, we're about halfway through, and then we'll be able to take in the sort of smaller animals. There are no lions in our area, uh, but there are leopards. But we would anticipate uh, getting in uh, from farmers' traps and others, and and um, motor vehicle um, um, uh, injuries. Uh, we would anticipate getting caracals, jackals, um, and that sort of animal.
1: This animal may sound small to people. It's not the lion uh, in terms of the megafauna. But as we were talking about earlier, the umbrella species create an environment and an ecosystem that the smaller animals can live in, and it's these smaller animals that are really the worker bees, so to speak, of an ecosystem. And uh, with a a rehab center, instead of a sanctuary, a rehab center, the goal is to return them to the wild. So, Chris, help us understand a little bit when you say camp. Uh, We in the West have a, a way of thinking of a camp as a place you go camp out and go have some fun. But you're talking about enclosures to hold orphaned or rescued or injured animals.
2: Oh, yes. Uh, Ellie, sorry, Uh, there is uh, a a, a sort of hidden meaning there. Uh, When we talk about camps, what we mean is a large uh, fenced off area of natural felt as opposed, as opposed to an enclosure which is a much smaller and unnatural um, in um, a cage. Uh, so what we're building actually is around a natural area of um, Karoo Bush. We um, erect a diamond mesh fence about 1.8 meters, what's that, about six feet uh, high uh, with an overhang um, because most animals will try to climb out, even even dog-like animals like jackals. uh, So you must have the overhang. And those are sanctuary camps for animals that cannot be released. Uh, The smaller enclosures that we are building will house the rehab animals, uh, which will be released as soon as they are able to go back to the wild.
1: So what is involved in rehabbing? Most of us understand an animal that's going to stay in sanctuary. You're providing its uh, needs for survival and care, and it it cannot survive in the wild, but you're conserving it uh, for the species and uh, keeping it alive, but rehab, rescue, rehab, and release is a very different system in terms of how you interact and care for these animals. What is rehab, what makes up rehab that these animals don't become human-habituated for their needs so that they can be released? Tell us a little bit how that works.
2: Well, we fill the gap between the vet and release. Now, you can imagine um, a vulture, for example, um, perhaps gets poisoned and some kind person takes it into the vet. The vet will tube it, uh, keep it for a couple of days and get it over the worst. Now, what does he do with it? Uh, that, that bird needs to be put into a rehab situation where it has a larger uh, area than just a tiny little cage and where it can recover its strength and then when it is well enough, um, it can go back to the wild. Now, it's not as simple as that. Uh, remember, um, many animals, well, let's stay with vultures because they're the same. Uh, vultures are colony animals. Uh, you can't just release, release a vulture. Um, it will just fly around and, and, and starve and die uh, because it needs to be part of a vulture colony uh, which spreads out over the countryside at different levels and functions like one organism. And the moment uh, one vulture sees um, a carcass, it will drop on it other vultures will see that, uh, that one dropping on it and they will drop, others will see those dropping and so the whole, um, the whole organism comes to feed on that. And it's the same with animals, uh, for example, well, lions, of course, are uh, uh, pride animals. You can't just release a lion into an area. It will get killed by the, um, by the resident lions. And similarly, you can't just release a meerkat Uh, into the bush because it will be killed by the residents if it survives. So, um, rehab is really quite complex uh, and involves quite a lot of um, experience um, in knowing what's best for individual animals as well as for their species. So, for example, for meerkats you have to build a viable uh, colony And then once you have that, you release the whole colony into a suitable area. And that's when you get success.
1: Does it help to, or is it possible, just thinking to build your camp around an existing colony and bring in the rescues? Or will that existing colony turn on the newcomer? Do you have to go out and um, live capture a colony and translocate them to your camp? Or how does this work? Or do you create a um, a group from a, a series of rescued individuals and release them all as their own new unit? Uh,
2: well, the latter in regard to uh, colony animals like meerkats. As they come in, so you create um, a, a, a series of... Um, uh, incremental uh, uh, changes to the group until you feel that the group is functional, until it has an alpha male and an alpha female and it's functioning properly. Which but is
1: very similar for to... For example... That's very similar to rebuilding a lion pride for release. You have to create oh, a absolutely.
2: family. Absolutely, yeah. Now, for example, we were very successful in the Kalahari with our vulture restaurant because... For example, if we had a vulture come in uh, either because it was just exhausted, um, it wasn't making it out there or it had been poisoned and we'd have to tube it and get it uh, flush the poison out and it then needed to recuperate and build up its strength. We had disabled vultures, vultures that had hit power lines and broken their wings irreparably and that sort of thing. So we built a restaurant, basically a one hectare, what's that, about two and a half acres, um, a, an area where disabled vultures could sit on branches and watch the world go by. Now, we would bring in carcasses every week, of course, Um for them, and the wild vultures used to see those carcasses and drop in. Now, it was the most wonderful way to rehab because, as I explained, you can't rehab a vulture just by releasing it. You have to rehab it into an existing colony where it becomes part of it. So what would happen is that the wild vultures would come down onto the carcass They would stay for two or three days until the carcass had been cleaned. And then the uh, orphaned and injured vultures that were now strong enough to uh, go back to the wild would take off with them when the colony took off and they would rehab themselves. And they were very good at working out when they were able to be rehabbed. Um, They before they were ready to go, they wouldn't go. They would just stay with the disabled vultures and keep uh, building up their strength.
1: So they get to decide when they're ready, and they take off. And in the meantime, you and your crew of um, colleagues and workers and volunteers, I believe you opened up in the Kalahari uh, Rehab Center, which please listeners once again go read that book purchase it um be interactive with kalahari dream the e-version because you'll get to see the vulture restaurant that chris just told us about and you'll get to understand on a much deeper level of what chris is saying here because we're limited on time here But you can take all the time you want to look at all the YouTube videos and Chris's beautiful writing and the story of his life and of this center. So what's important to understand now is here at the Karoo Wildlife uh, Center, it's starting up. So again, visit cannedlions.org and donate. All this takes money. Chris, his crew, his colleagues, and his volunteers, you need to be wildlife biologists, uh, or Chris, you know, you're being a wildlife biologist, you're sort of being a geographer, you're being a vet, you're being the best friend and a caretaker to a wide variety of animals, you need to be an an animal behaviorist, and you need to be able, as you said, fill the gap for these animals while they recover from human-induced Uh, usually human-induced issues that are detrimental to their survival in the wild. And vultures, as we've talked about many times on this program, are in deep, deep, steep decline. Our vultures are um, disappearing, and they're critical, critical components of any wild ecosystem. They are the garbage collectors and janitors of the Veldt and that's spelled V E L D T um, it might have sounded like felt the material when Chris said it but it's a large open living landscape so um, tell us a little tell us a little more about when uh, we've got a couple minutes here left um, you need money so people can donate and can people when you get up and running will you uh, bring in volunteers where people can get hands-on experience and um, tell us some of what you need
2: Uh, Yes, Ellie. Uh, On our website, we're actually uh, open uh, to uh, volunteers. Uh, But of course, we don't have any animals yet because we're still uh, building the infrastructure. And so I guess that the volunteers will uh, find us a more attractive venue once we have animals to look after.
1: Well, some volunteers will that want to interact with animals. But As you and I both know, the whole thing about wildlife is we don't interact with them. But there are those places, these stopgap measures, where people can have hands-on experiences with wildlife to the whole point of releasing it and letting it go, not keeping it as a pet. So please donate uh, to Canned Lion, which is the ongoing campaign against canned hunting, and the Karoo wildlife center they need help they need it now so this is a great way to give and to know that you are contributing to keeping our wild world going um unfortunately chris we're out of time today this has been a fabulous conversation and uh your wish list, you know, I would say go for our our listeners to go visit the website and see what's needed. And if you're a carpenter, and you want to spend some time in an extreme landscape, and get some great experience of what it's like to live off the grid, truly off the grid, then go visit the Chris and the Kalahari Rehab Center, or Wildlife Center, I'm sorry. Check it out on Facebook and check it out on their website. Uh, Chris, do you have any final words for our listeners today?
2: Uh, I would like to just remind people that they should not uh, accept uncritically uh, hunting propaganda that says that hunting is a tool of conservation. Uh, I would prefer that they realize that hunting is to conservation what pornography is to art. Huh. And as far as the as the Karoo Wildlife Center is concerned, we would welcome volunteers uh, who are prepared to work for the animals, even though we don't have any yet, so they wouldn't be able to work with the animals.
1: But they would still see animals out there, not necessarily at the rehab center, but... You're out there and you will see wildlife and extreme, unique wildlife that is for millennia been um, geared to grow and live in these extreme landscapes where it's very difficult for people to survive. So thank you, Chris. I appreciate that comment on the um, propaganda of hunting and conservation. I would love to talk to you more about that and we'll be talking more about that on this program. But today we're out of time. So thank you, Chris.
2: It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, and I hope we get to speak again. And in the meantime, this is Our Wild World, and thank you for listening.
2: Thank
0: you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week, and what you can do right now.